Well, hey, let me say it again. Good morning and welcome to Grumlaw Church. We are so glad that you are here today, that you decided to tune in and watch. And I really, really do mean that. We do not take it for granted that you decided to, again, make this a part of your week. Uh, you could have obviously been doing a lot of different things this morning, but for whatever reason, you decided to show up here and make this a priority. So again, thank you. Now, I, I know I'm probably a little bit biased, but I happen to think that this place, Grumlaw, is pretty great. And, and I'm really, really confident that if you give this place a couple of weeks, you don't let this just be a one and done experience, but you keep tuning in here for the next couple of weeks, uh, this will actually be something that you look forward to showing up to each and every week. So don't let this be a one and done experience. Keep on coming back. Uh, if you are new around here, or, or maybe you're not really new, but you just haven't shown up in a little bit, uh, we're in a series right now titled The Blessed Life. In fact, this morning we are entering into part five of six, which means that the end is near. And, and for some of you, that is well just like music to your ears, because yes, this entire series is focusing on money, on finances, and even more specifically, it, it focuses on generosity. And, and no, it's, it's not lost on me that most of you don't particularly enjoy talking about money in a public setting, or really in any setting. So, so, so why are we doing this to ourselves? Actually, allow me to ask an even more selfish question. Why would I do this to myself? O open up the doors of criticism and perhaps only further perpetuate this idea that that's right, the church is just after my money. Uh, in fact, many of you, this might be the very reason that you stepped away from church for a season of your life. For, for some of you, you were basically bribed into, into watching this today, and this was precisely your fear. If you were to tune in here today, you're like, oh my gosh, what, what, if, what if they talk about money? Or what if they talk about sex? I mean, that would be the worst. And here we are. So if you're here today and you're just beginning to explore or Maybe you're watching right now and you don't really want to be. You deserve, you need to know this. God is on an endless pursuit after you. You, whether you realize this or not, you are God's most prized possession. He wants nothing more than to have a deep and intimate, a real relationship with you. And if that seems hard to believe, if that seems hard to embrace, remember, he sent his one and his only son down to this earth and then allowed him to be brutally murdered on a cross as payment for your sin. Your sin for his son. Our sin fractured that relationship with him. And ever since, ever since every single one of us screwed up by sinning, he has been on this endless pursuit to win you back to get that relationship. And whether you've ever thought about this or not, I, I promise you this is true. God's chief competitor for your heart is your money. Th throughout human history, it has always been this way, and I, I suspect it always will be. That the, the largest obstacle that stands in the way of that relationship that God so desperately wants with you is your money. For all you Christians that are watching right now, that there is nothing in your life that is more likely to divide your loyalty than your wallet. And here's the deal. God doesn't want just access to some of your life. He wants all of you. And the reason that's the case isn't because he's like this control freak. I mean, just think about that logically. If that was what was driving all of this, he wouldn't have offered a single one of us any free will. No, 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 the reason he wants you to hand him control of everything 
is because he is for you. He he has such a better life waiting for you if you would just hand him the keys. He he is such a better ruler over your life than you could ever be. And, And not just me, but literally hundreds of people who are a part of this very faith community would attest to the fact that, that, that as you hand God more and more control, there is such freedom on the other side of that. And, and you'll inevitably arrive at what becomes this all too familiar place of like, what in the heck took me so long? This really is so much better. So, so, so I know I keep reminding us of this, but, but just to make sure we're kind of all on the same page and just to make sure we're all uncomfortable this morning, I actually want you to repeat this after me wherever you're watching from. God isn't after my money. He's after my heart. Let's say it all together. God isn't after my money. He's after my heart. Bingo. And, and he is going to break down any wall. He's going to break down every wall that stands between him and your heart. And, and I promise you, your sweet, sweet moolah certainly ain't off limits. Now, by the way, if you have missed any of the weeks so far in this series, I would really, really encourage you. In fact, you need to go catch yourself up because this is basically a three-hour sermon that is broken down into six parts. And and without the context of this entire series, a a good chunk of what we're going to present today, a good chunk of what we're going to present the following week, it's going to sound strange, even downright offensive. So you can always catch yourself up at grumlaw.com slash messages, or per usual, you can find us in a Grumlaw church wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. Now, last thing that I'm going to say, and I'm sure to make this very, very clear every single week, if you are new to all this, you're just beginning to explore, but you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you get to pick and choose with this stuff. So don't get offended, don't get defensive about anything that we're presenting over the course of this series. You're off the hook, pick and choose as you see fit. However, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, well, you don't have that luxury. Now today, as we head here into part five, we're going to answer the question, actually, you're going to get a chance to answer the question, M. I generous, okay? So throughout this conversation that we're gonna have this morning, I really want you to ask that question, am I generous? Uh, It was about two years ago uh, that my wife and I and our kids, we got invited over to a friend, uh, a person that actually uh, attends this church. And uh, shortly after getting there, uh, he was pretty excited. And he said, hey, I-, I want you to come in the garage and bring Malachi. I have something for you. And I was like, okay, that's weird. You already invited us to your house. And like, we're just expecting to come over and just kind of hang out. And-, and we come around the corner of the garage and this bad boy I- is waiting for us. In fact, it was waiting for my son. My, my daughter kind of likes to be in control, hence why she is driving here. And we've probably abused this little power wheel more than you, you should. In fact, you can see there, I had strapped several chairs to it that I hauled away from somebody else's dump. That's beside the point. Uh, but-, but he had this car just waiting for my son. It wasn't his birthday wasn't Christmas. He, he just bought it because he saw it in, in his words. He said, this just had to be for Malachi. And, and so he bought it because that's just kind of how he is. It's just who he is. He's just a generous guy and he likes to see my kids smile. Uh, last month, uh, some of you know this, others of you don't, uh, it was Pastor Appreciation Month. In fact, that was actually kind of news to me that that was a thing as of like stepping into to ministry and, and working for a church. And uh, many of you actually, over the course of this last month, you sent such kind notes. Thank you. Some of you even took it a step further and you put little gift cards in there to Amazon, Taco Bell. Some of you really know the keys to my heart, Chipotle. Like, like all this encouragement just to say, hey, we appreciate you. And again, you live a generous life. And so that's just kind of a normal thing that you do. But, but here's what's really crazy. It was about two weeks ago during this Pastor Appreciation Month, I get a text from somebody that attends this church. 
And he said, hey, your, your wife has just really been on our mind lately. In fact, like waking me up in the middle of the night uh, and I just feel compelled to pray for her. Can I get her phone number and maybe like get some more specific prayer requests? And I said, absolutely, pass her number along. Well, I get home from work a couple of weeks ago and uh, when I walk in the door, my wife's like, you're not gonna believe what happened today. This woman that's, that's been texting me, she asked if she could swing by the house. And of course I said, yeah, that's fine. You know, come on by. Uh, and when she arrived, she handed me, me a card in, in an envelope and said, hey, we, we had received a, an unexpected gift, an unexpected blessing in our lives, and as soon as we received it, I looked at my husband and I said, this is for Andrea. I know that this is for Andrea. And, and so she just handed the envelope to Andrea, they chit-chatted for a little bit, and then she left. And then Andrea proceeded to open up this card, and inside were some very kind words, but also well over $1,000 in cash. I, I don't have words to express the gratitude for this couple, for this family, for, for being obedient in what the Spirit was asking. Why am I telling you this? I, I promise you it's not to, like, not so subtly suggest to all of you that you need to buy me and my family gifts. That's, that's not where I'm going with this. Here's why I, I share that with you. I, I want to make this, sure this is really, really, really clear. A, a series like this has the ability to come across as like, you got to be better in this area, and come on, Grumlaw, get your act together. But, but I honestly would be being negligent. I, I would be so remiss to not at least mention that there are some of you who are watching right now who are absolutely crushing it in this area. I, I haven't been too shy about sharing that my goal for this church would be that eventually in my lifetime that this church would be a part of the exclusive 5149 Club. Now, if you don't know what that club is, that, that's okay. I guess I'm pretty sure I made it up. Uh, the 5149 Club is that in my lifetime, we would see 51%, better than half of our budget, go right back out the back door to support other ministries, to, to go right back out into our communities, to just show the world that, hey, we are for you. We, we have something for you. This, the, the Jesus is so crazy about you because we never look more like Jesus than when we're being generous. And, and then only 49% would be used to actually you know, for the operations of the church. And, and, and so many of you, you have caught that vision. You have caught that vision of generosity and you're helping us get there. So, so I want to make sure that I adequately express this. I am so proud of this church. Many of you, you give me that hope that this isn't just some pipe dream, this 5149 thing, but, but this is something that we're actually going to see in our lifetime. I'm so proud of this, this four-year-old church and how so many of you are living this out, that, that, that Jesus has so transformed your life that you're actually being obedient in this area. It's a privilege. It's an honor to get to lead at this church, and I'm so proud of so many of you that, that you can with full integrity answer that question, am I generous, with a resounding yes. Now this morning, we're going to dive here into John chapter 12. John is one of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. And here in John chapter 12, uh, we see a particular event recorded for us. So we're going to pick up right in verse 1. There it says, six days before the Passover celebration began, a, a Jewish festival, Jesus arrived in Bethany, which was a town, the at the home of Lazarus, the man, oh, by the way, that he had raised from the dead just a couple of months earlier. So Lazarus was dead in the ground, Good is gone. Jesus comes along, weeps, mourns with the family, but then raises him back to life. It says a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor because that's probably what you would do if somebody you knew got raised from the dead. Martha served, who's a sister of Lazarus, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. 
Then Mary, another sister of Lazarus, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. So she is quite literally pouring this perfume on the feet of Jesus and then cleaning it up with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages, so valuable. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor, not not that he actually cared for the poor because he was a thief. And, And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Now, now there are kind of two questions that are really obvious and kind of begging to be asked when you read this particular account. One, why would Mary give such an extravagant gift? I mean, literally a bottle of perfume worth a year's wages. And then two, why why did this irritate Judas? I mean, why did it really irritate Judas? Now, now there are two different hearts that are revealed to us in this account. A, A heart of generosity, obviously represented by that of Mary, and then a heart of selfishness represented by Judas. And what's worth noting is that giving an act of generosity revealed both of these hearts. Now, now remember, again, the question we're asking of ourselves this morning, and not of the person next to you, not of your spouse, not of your parents, not of your friend, the question that you are asking of yourself is, am I generous? And, and hopefully to help us arrive at that answer, let's explore some factoids regarding generosity. Number one, that the enemy of generosity is selfishness. As we've already actually explored at length in this series, every single one of us are born selfish. If you think that sounds harsh, if you don't believe that, just go watch a group of children interact with each other for all of about 15 seconds. One of the first words that a child learns, da-da, mama, and then shortly thereafter, mine! And they say it with this mind, with this like tone that makes you want to just rip your ears off. But through the redemptive work of Christ in our lives and daily dependence on the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to truly live, to truly lead a generous life. And and, and come on, every single one of us, Christian or not, we all know that generosity is just better than selfishness every time. Nobody disputes this. There ain't a single person watching right now who has ever thought to themselves, man, I'm really hoping that today I'm a little bit more selfish than I was yesterday. Remember when I said that God's for you, he has something better for your life? This is just another one of those examples. So so, so Judas, he makes this now rather infamous statement after seeing this perfume poured on the feet of Jesus. He says that perfume was worth a year's wages. Let that sink in for a second. It's a lot of money. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Judas made this statement as a reaction to the perceived extravagance of someone else. And you know what extravagance is? It's someone who has more than you. That neighborhood, those houses, oh my gosh, I mean, that is extravagance. Like, ooh, who could afford to live there? But, but you know what's real interesting? <laughs> you got a raise. You got a promotion. You stumbled into some more money. And suddenly you could afford to move into that neighborhood. And it's not so extravagant now, is it? That car, I mean, come on, a Denali? Did you really have to get that trim? A Range Rover, seriously? You drive a BMW, but then you got one. And again, suddenly it's not so extravagant. 
See, we love to point the finger at others. Why is that? Because then we don't have to point it at ourselves. You don't have to admit this to anybody else. This is just between you and God. But, but, but think about this. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, I mean, can you believe they bought that? Can you believe they got one of those? Oh my gosh, they built with that? I cannot believe they spent money on dot, dot, dot. And, and come on, some of you, you've even taken this a step further. I've thought it before. I know some of you have. You've literally thought to yourself, if they were actually a Christian, I mean, if they were actually following Jesus, that they would have taken that money and given it to the poor. That they wouldn't have spent that money on that. In fact, they would have kept it and then given it to those in need. Sounds a lot like Judas. But the truth is, is that if you really gave a rip about the poor, if I really cared about the needy, you would have sold your car. You would have sold your house. You would have sold your whatever by now, and you would have given the money away to those in need. Here's what I'm trying to point out to us. As long as we can say someone else isn't doing what they ought to be doing, even though we actually have no idea what other people are doing with their money, then we don't need to actually look at ourselves and see if we're actually generous, to see if we might be selfish. Now, this is a quick little sidebar nugget worth pointing out here. In, in verse 6, we're told that Judas was the guy in charge of the money. Uh, amongst the disciples in Jesus, he was sort of like the pseudo-accountant. That They had this traveling ministry, and everywhere they went, they, they relied on the generosity of the town of the people that they were visiting and ministering to. And, and so they took an offering at all their stops to help pay for the ministry, not unlike the offering that we take here on Sunday mornings. And, and I want to ask you something. Who in the heck... <laughs> put dishonest Judas in charge of the money? That meant to be a trick question. I mean, who is the leader of this bunch? Jesus, right? And, and, and do you think that Jesus knew Judas maybe had a propensity to be, I don't know, dishonest? Did, did that escape him? No, no, I'm positive he knew. Because actually two years earlier, he looked at this same group of guys, these disciples, and he said, one of you, one of you are going to betray me. He knew. So why did he put Judas, dishonest, lying Judas, in charge of the money? He did it to give Judas an opportunity to prove himself. In part two, we talked about the fact that every single follower of Jesus is, is tested when we get paid. God regularly tests us in this area not to watch us fail. I want to make sure this is really clear. But instead, to give us the opportunity over and over again to prove ourselves faithful, to, to, to show our obedience, to, to prove that, that we can be trusted. Every single time you're paid, you're given this opportunity. Number two, generosity is extravagant. Now, the reason that we're, we're throwing this word around this morning, extravagance, extravagant, is because God gave every single one of us the most extravagant gift of all. Think about it. He, he gave his one and his only son for our sin. That, that's how desperately he wants a relationship with you. That is extravagant. Mary, in this account that we're reading, she gave a gift worth a year's wages. 
I, I think every single one of us agree that if you were to offer up your entire salary for a year, all the money that you earned in a given year, and, and you were to just freely give that money away, it doesn't matter what the amount is, whether you make $150,000 a year, $50,000 a year, $20,000 a year, 12 bucks a year, if you were to give it all away, that would be extravagant, right? But, but she didn't just give the money. She, she literally poured it. She poured it on the feet of Jesus. That's like next level extravagance. She poured it out as an offering to her Lord and Savior. I have to tell you, as I was preparing this, this message this week, this was really convicting for me. Because do I approach Jesus with that same type of awe, with that same type of gratitude? When I give, is that my heart posture? Do I look like Mary that I'm just so overcome with gratitude about what God has done for me that I can't wait to do this? It's just this natural outpouring that I just feel like I can't even believe that he allows me to bring gifts to him. Is there a gift that you can give that's going to impress God? It would seem probably not since it all comes from God in the first place, but look what it says in Paul's early letter to the Christian church in Corinth. I want to pull something out of this. It says, they even did more than we had hoped. They, referring to that early Christian church in Corinth, they went above and beyond for their first action. The first thing they did was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. Those were serving in full-time ministry just as God wanted them to just as God was hoping for. We are told over and over and over again in Scripture that God rejoices in you, not you in broad terms, but specifically you. And that word that we get rejoice from literally translated means that God jumps up and down and twirls about. That is how much he loves you. That is how much he delights in you. That is how excited he gets just to be with you. I was out of town this, this last week and away from my family for, for four days. And I have to admit that when I go away now, it, it gets harder and harder. I can't stand leaving my kids, can't stand leaving my wife. I'm like becoming more and more of a homebody. But when I saw my kids, I quite literally picked them up, jumped up and down, twirled about, tears rolling down my cheeks because I love them so much. My children, Oakley, Malachi, Logan, they have my heart. Words cannot describe how much I love them. God is not concerned with the amount. He's after you. He's after your heart. And don't tell me that he has your heart if he doesn't have your money. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. God jumps up and down, twirls about, celebrates when you finally give yourself, when you finally give your heart to him because he's crazy about you. He desperately wants you. And again, I'll remind us, he ain't after your money. He's after your heart. He's after you. And he knows that, that if you will hand him control of your money, he'll eventually get access to everything else. He'll eventually get all of you. All throughout scripture, throughout the pages of history, even in our own lives, when you think about it, we basically see three levels of giving. Tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. 
tithes are what we talked about earlier in this series. It's that giving that percentage of your income back to the local church, specifically 10%. Again, if you weren't here for that week, got to go back and listen. Next, offerings. This is above and beyond the tithe. One of the things that we do as a church, every year we promote this, uh, compassion children. Many of you sponsor a a child through compassion where you give them clean drinking water, food, access to a school, access to a local church, honestly all for a pretty low amount of money. That that would be a great opportunity for an offering above and beyond your tithe. But then there are extravagant offerings. And, And I'll tell you, from my experience, it would seem like this comes about two, three, four, maybe five times in the life of a person where God asks you to give such a gift. It's one of those gifts where you go, oh my goodness, I really hope I'm not hearing you right right now. It's one of those offerings that really shakes up your faith. Now what's sad is that most Christians never even make it to the first level. In fact, the national average amongst churches is between 5 and 7% of Christians actually give a true tithe, the 10% back to the local church. But, but here's the thing. If you get to this first level, I can promise you, you will make it to levels two and three before you know it. Because that first level, as we have talked about, it breaks the curse. It breaks that spirit of mammon as we explored last week. And God starts working and nudging in ways that you never would have previously considered. I've shared a little bit about my past. Y'all kind of know a little bit of my story just honestly through these messages like this. But prior uh, to stepping into full-time ministry, prior to being a pastor, I I worked in a more corporate America setting. I I was in medical sales. And honestly, I I was pretty good at it. But one of the things that God made really, really clear to my wife and I as I was stepping into that career, before I ever got my first paycheck, he he made this so clear. He said, Shay, you're going to make good money doing this. But I want to remind you that this money is not for you. This money is not to build Shay and Andrea's empire. You are to use these earnings to be a blessing to the people around you and even more specifically the local church. And I promise you, he made it so clear that, hey, if you are faithful in what I am giving you, you'll continue to make more. You and Andrea will never have anything to worry about. But you are to be a blessing, again, to the people around you and to the local church. So I share that to say that when God called Andrea and I to start a church, to jump into ministry, it really didn't feel like this massive adjustment because we never really adjusted our way of living to reflect our incomes. Some of you need to tuck that away, actually. But, but I will fully admit to you that when the time finally came for me to like put in my two weeks and, and all those fears that Satan starts cramming into your head are like, they're there. It's like, this isn't just something we're talking about now. This is something that we're going to do. It felt a little scary. And I've shared this story before. It was within the same week that I put in my two weeks with that, that corporate job and was jumping into the, working for the, for the church full time. Uh, and long story short, and again, I've shared this before, uh, my wife and I literally in our utility room, we stumbled across $5,500 that was hidden in an air duct. And I promise you that wasn't an accident. It, it was God literally looking to us saying, I have this under control. You just keep being obedient. You keep jumping when I tell you to jump. And I will show you my faithfulness over and over and over again. I want to make sure that this is so clear. I I am not asking anyone watching right now 
to, to give away everything, to give away a year's wages like we saw with Mary. I'm not proposing that all of you need to quit your jobs and jump into full-time ministry. I'm simply pleading with you followers of Jesus to be obedient in, in what God has already asked in this area to give that percentage of your income back to the local church. And then when he nudges, because he will, when he prompts to, to give that offering or that extravagant offering, take the leap, jump in head first, because when God places those opportunities, and they are opportunities, not obligations, you, you do it once, and I, I promise you'll watch how God flips your mentality in all this. But when God places those opportunities in our lap to give an offering, or even that extravagant offering. They are life-changing, life-altering experiences that you will look back on and forever be grateful for. That They will sit among those defining moments of your life where you look back and you say, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for being so patient with me. Thank you for keeping on knocking. Thank you for continuing to nudge. Thank you for showing me your extravagance. They will grow your faith in ways that otherwise will not have been possible. And then number three, generosity comes prepackaged with a reward. Now, give you a little bit more context into this story. I alluded to this earlier, but two months before this whole, I'm about to pour a year's wages on your feet episode, but between Mary, between Jesus, Jesus had raised Mary's brother Lazarus from the dead. Generosity comes from gratitude. When you're truly grateful, generosity is a natural byproduct. See, if somebody came to you out of the blue and they said, hey, can I get a year's salary from you, like, like as a gift? I'm guessing, like, like me, you would be a little bit reluctant. But, but if that person had recently raised your sibling, your brother, your sister, your child, your mom, your dad, your best friend from the dead, I'm thinking that maybe you would be a little bit more inclined to do so. Jesus gave every single one of us the opportunity to be made right with God when he offered himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. While we were dead, dead in our sin, he offered himself in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our sin, not once we got our acts together, but while we were still sinning, he died for us. When you come to grips with just how hopeless you were without Jesus, how done, how dead you were in your sin. And then you recognize the great lengths that he went to in order to win you back. You're grateful. And generosity becomes a natural byproduct. Mary didn't give this gift to Jesus to be rewarded. She was just grateful that her brother was still alive. So generosity just kind of became a natural response. But God did reward her. And God always rewards generosity. But just to make sure we're on the same page, let's kind of define generosity. Generosity is someone gives and expects nothing in return. Selfishness is when someone gives and now believes that God owes them something. And the irony here is that, you can probably see this, God always rewards generosity and selfishness, conversely, as your life has shown you, never gets rewarded. Another letter that we find in the New Testament, that second half of the Bible, uh, titled Hebrews, the writer says this, it is impossible, it is impossible to please God without faith. 
And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. This word that, that we get rewards from in its original Greek is a word that only appears one time in the entire Bible. That right there is it. And, and literally translated, it means to reward with extravagance. It, it's to give more than what is due. It, it would be like if you found a wallet and you're an honest person, so you return it to the owner. And upon returning it to the owner, they gave you $10,000 as a reward. Now, you were a little bit curious, and you know, you're going to be honest about it, but you kind of flipped through that wallet, and you noticed that there was only 15 bucks in there. So, so when they handed you 10K, that, that was a little startling, right? Because you're like, this really isn't worth that much. D don't miss this. You aren't being rewarded for the amount you returned. You're being rewarded for your integrity. You're being rewarded for your honesty. When, when God rewards you for your generosity, and he always does, it's not because you so impressed him with the amount of money that you gave. It's because you've been faithful. It's because you've been honest in giving back to him. You're being rewarded for the attitude of your heart. Remember we talked about this in part one. God doesn't change. He can't change. Because if he could change, it means they get better. But he can't get better because he's already perfect. And applied here, God cannot, I'm going to use a double negative here, God cannot not reward you. It's literally who he is. He, he is a rewarder. And, and just to be clear, to make sure all of you that maybe grew up in church, you don't think I've gone off the deep end here and I'm starting to preach prosperity gospel, God often blesses us in our finances, blesses us in our finances. But his rewards, which is what we're talking about right now, is always him. He rewards us with himself. We get more of him. We become more like him. It affects every area of our lives. We discover how much better our life is with him. We discover that he is such a better ruler over our lives than we could ever be. We find out that the contentment, joy, purpose, these are actually things we can find in this life in a relationship with him. We as a church, um, I promise you in this series, we're not asking you to do anything that we don't practice as, as, as a church. In fact, I'm sure if you've been showing up here for any period of time, you've heard us talk about this, that we give away hundreds of thousands of dollars every single year, well beyond 10% to generosity efforts in our community, to border stations between Nepal and India against human trafficking, money that goes right back out the back door that doesn't have a tangible, hey, this is a benefit to Grumlaw Church. We just believe in being generous because, again, we never look more like Jesus than when we're being generous. And one of these organizations that we support, and you're going to continue to hear more about this organization in the coming weeks and months, uh, is an incredible organization in Highland Park uh, called Shiloh Detroit. Shiloh Detroit exists to just serve the youth uh, in that community and show them the love uh, of Jesus. Oftentimes kids that are coming from, honestly, some pretty rough, pretty difficult uh, backgrounds. It's an organization that is never going to be self-sustainable. It, it will forever rely on the gifts, on the generosity of organizations and churches uh, like Grumlaw. Uh, it was several years ago, uh, in fact about seven, eight years ago, that, that I became involved in this ministry. And one of the guys that, uh, that I met when I was there is, is Arthur. And there's a picture of Art. And uh, when I first met Art, that was not the look he had on his face. He was suicidal, wrestling with depression, 
because everything in his life had shown him that he wasn't worth it, that he didn't have purpose, that he didn't have meaning. All throughout his life, all he had ever known was, was rejection. A mom that didn't want him, didn't know who his dad was, a brother who had kind of reluctantly taken him in because he didn't have any other place to go, and he shows up to Shiloh, Detroit, and slowly but surely, he is exposed to the grace and the love that Jesus offers every single one of us. And rather than finding his identity and what people were saying about him, he began to find his identity in the Savior who gave his life for him, the Savior that would have died for him if it was just him. I can tell you now, I know him well, he is one of the most joy-filled, happy, kind gentlemen that I have ever met in my life. Jesus has completely transformed his life. Church, that is a reward. That is extravagant beyond words.